0: So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. If your roof starts to leak, or your floors really squeak, you live in a man.
1: Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler.
0: And I'm Leslie Segretti.
1: And we are here to help you with your home improvement projects, your do-it-yourself dilemmas. If you're going to do it yourself, we want to make sure you're not doing it to yourself. If you're a direct it yourselfer we're going to help you find the pro to get the job done. But pick up the phone and help yourself first by calling us at 888 money pit 888-666-3974. Coming up in this hour of the program, if you're having trouble finding a babysitter or just want to have a night out on the town without ever leaving home, there's a new trend on tap that brings the fun to you. It's called a bar shed. Yes, backyard sheds are now being outfitted with wet bars. We're going to have how-to tips to make this dream a reality on your property.
0: Oh my God, it's a genius idea. There are pictures All over different sorts of websites about fun ideas that people have done. And I I would like to turn my garage into a bar. That'd be amazing. But where do I put all the kids' toys? All right, guys, you know what's also happening? Several generations are living under one roof. That's not unusual, but a house that accommodates everyone's different needs, that's pretty rare. So we're going to have some home design advice for multi-generational families later this hour.
1: And also up, are you ready for warmer weather? You better make sure your air conditioner is as well. You don't want to wait for the first heat wave to find out. We're going to tell you how to make sure your AC is good to go.
0: And spring is finally here. If you'd like to spruce up your car before you cruise, around with the windows down, you're going to want this hour's prize. We're giving away a 3M auto prize pack worth more than 100 bucks.
1: It's got everything from a sanding block to a headlight restoration kit. The 3M auto prize pack is a great prize. Call us right now for the answer to your home improvement question and your chance to win. The number is one 888 Pit.
0: Brandon in California has been taking some cold showers. Well, not intentionally anyway. How can we help you with that?
2: My cold water valve, when I... It just happens just to the cold water. If I turn on the hot water, it doesn't have the problem. But when I turn on the cold, it does this knocking or like a bang in the wall, and the pressure is reduced significantly. And it just will—it'll come out really low pressure unless I really turn it on, and then um, the pressure comes back. But uh, I don't know what—I well, don't know if that's called like knocking or hammer knocking or something like that. But
1: yeah, it's called water hammer
2: water hammer. Is that what that is? Yeah. Okay. It's not like a continual knocking though.
1: Okay. So first of all, when you open up the faucet and all the water kind of runs forward towards it, that has a lot of force with it and that will bang the pipe sometimes. And if the pipe, especially if it's not attached well to the floor joist or whatever happens to go through, makes that banging sound. That's why we call it water hammer. Uh, It can be lessened or completely repaired with some plumbing work, but it may or may not be worth it because it doesn't really damage the pipe. It really just more of an annoyance. Now, in terms of the pressure issue, so the water comes on fast and then trickles out after that? Is that what's going on?
2: Well, it comes out normal, but then it just seems like someone's in the wall, like kinking the line, and it's just coming out. Like, it it comes out still. It's not like trickling out, like drip.
1: Is it one faucet in the shower? What about the sink that's right next to it? No,
2: there's the three. Like, one on the left is hot. The center transitions it from the bathtub to the shower head. And the one on the right is the cold water.
1: What about your sink? Does it do the same thing at the sink?
2: No, it's it's just in the shower. So
1: what I would do is I would install a pressure balance valve in the shower. The pressure balance valve, essentially, it's not going to address the water hamming, but what it'll do is it'll keep the pressure even between hot and cold, keep the mix even between hot and cold so that you don't get any sort of shell shock when you step in the shower and somebody runs a fixture somewhere else and it changes the temperature.
0: Yeah. So no more pranksters flushing the toilet and getting a super scalding shower.
1: And the fact that this is only happening at the shower means it's a problem with the valves. It's not a problem with the plumbing lines. Otherwise, it would be happening at the sink as well.
2: Okay. That kind of makes sense because sometimes it's just sometimes it's hard to like balance when we're in the shower. It's like, oh man, this is just scalding hot. Yeah. we really got to crank up that cold to get it kind of balanced. That's what you need, a
1: pressure balance valve. All right. Perfect. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Brandon. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit.
0: Now we've got Jan in South Dakota on the line who needs some help with leveling a basement floor. Not a terribly difficult project, but a big one. How can we help you?
3: We're planning to remodel the lower level of a townhouse. Right. And what we'd like to do is retile the traffic area which is a hallway and also a bathroom and utility room but there's a bedroom with a closet on an outside wall and a utility room in the in the sort of the center of the um, rooms that has an unlevel floor so my okay. question is is there a way to um uh, relevel the concrete floor before we re resurface
1: it. Yeah. I mean, there's a product called a a leveling compound, a floor leveling compound that essentially you can mix up and pour on the floor and trowel out and use it to level floors. And so that's really your only option. But how out of level is this floor? I mean, is it really visually um, bothersome? Because I would suspect that you know, it's a big project for you to level it and it might be easier just to sort of adjust things around it.
3: Okay. Like re-level the appliances and...
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a just, it's a kind of a pain in the neck to level the entire floor.
3: Is it expensive?
1: To have it professionally done, I would say yes. To do it yourself, no. But then again, it's not the kind of thing that you could just pick up and do. It does require some skills to get it done right.
3: You would just get like a, be a long board to use as a trowel.
1: There are products that are self-leveling products, and they're usually good for more minor leveling jobs, say up to one being one inch out of level. So if you choose a floor leveling compound that's designed for self-leveling, essentially what you do is you mix it up, say like in a five-gallon bucket, and then you pour it out and it will seek its own level. But you have to keep going back, mixing more, pouring it, mixing more, pouring it, and then you can kind of trowel it out as it starts to level out. and, And then at one point it will meet you know, the original floor. So that's an option for you, is to use a self-leveling compound.
0: That sounds great.
1: All right. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit.
0: You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. You've got a design dilemma? We've got an answer. You've got a leaky pipe? we can help you fix it. And we can also help you clean up all the water and fix whatever happened in the mess that <laughs> followed after that water So Give us a call. We're here to help you 24 hours a day, seven days a week at one Money Pit
1: 888 3974 You've probably heard of man caves, but what about bar sheds? They're popping up in backyards everywhere. Tips to create your very own next. You live in a Money
0: Pit.
4: The Money Pit is presented by PaveStone's easy-to-stack Rumblestone rustic building blocks. Create any outdoor hardscape you can imagine to instantly add old-world charm. Available at The Home Depot. For more information and product instructions, visit pavestone.com.
1: Where home solutions live, this is The Money Pit, home improvement radio show where we try to make good homes better. I'm Tom Kreitler.
0: And I'm Leslie Segretti.
1: And one caller we talked to on the air this hour is going to win the 3M Auto Prize Pack worth more than 100 bucks.
0: Yeah, this prize pack is going to include everything that you need to spruce up your car. It includes a sanding block with different grit sandpapers, a headlight restoration kit, and Bondo spreaders so that you can work with putties and fillers.
1: You can learn more at 3M.com, but call us right now for your chance to win the 3M Auto Prize Pack, plus get the answer to your home improvement question at 888 Pit.
0: Pat and I was on the line with a question about painting. What can we do for you today?
5: Uh, yes, I uh, would like to paint my aluminum siding on my home. I can't afford to side it right now. And I was wondering if it's possible to paint aluminum
1: siding. Absolutely. There's no reason you can't paint aluminum siding. What you want to do is clean the house really well, power wash it perhaps, and then you're going to have to prime that siding. That's really important.
0: Otherwise, nothing is going to stick.
1: Exactly. So you need to do a primer coat.
0: Okay. Well, what t- what kind of primer?
1: Well, you're going to use a primer that's designed to work with the paint that you select. So for example, if you're going to work with the Benjamin Moore family of paints, you're going to use a Benjamin Moore primer. Okay. And the primer is the glue. It's the adhesive coat. That's what makes the paint stick. And then you put the top coat on top of that.
5: Now, will this Peel on the south side where the sun hits?
1: No, not if you do a good job on the prep. You know, that's why we're telling you to prime it. It's you, because And because the siding is metal, that paint job should last you a good 8 to 10 years. It lasts less if it's an organic material like wood siding, but with metal siding, it can last a long time if it's done well.
5: Oh, good. That's a good thing to know. Okay, I wasn't sure I could even do it. I thought maybe it would just peel right off. Now, the power wash, is that just... Um, I'd have to hire somebody to probably do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, unless you unless you happen to have your own pressure washer, yeah, you'd have to hire somebody to do that. And they'll use a detergent and clean off any dirt and debris and algae and so on that's on the on the metal. Then you let it dry really, really well. Then you prime, then you paint. I mean, it's a big project, Pat. You know, if, if you're not comfortable with, uh, you know, 10-foot, 20-foot ladders, depending on how high your house is, you might want to hire a painter to do this.
5: No, I'd probably hire someone else to do it. But do you think it'd be real expensive or would I be better off to... Pr- find a good vinyl siding man.
1: To well, I think that you don't have to side the house. You don't have to put siding. You can paint this house and paint it successfully. I think it will be less expensive than, than siding.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Stewart in Rhode Island's got a water heating question for us. What can we do for you today? had an
6: oil-fired hot water heater, a separate oil-fired hot water heater separate from the old. And it finally went bad after 13 years. I guess that was a good, good time period. Um, and my plumber is urging me to replace it with an electric hot water heater with a timer on it um it's it's much more uh cheaper to do that than buy a, a to replace the oil fired hot water heater that i had Uh, But I'm just wondering, is there any negatives to
1: it? Well, it's a little more expensive to run than oil. But as you say, it's a lot less expensive to buy. I'm actually surprised that it only lasted 13 years because oil-fired water heaters seem to last a lot longer than standard water heaters. I mean, if you just look at the warranties, the standard water heaters, electric water heaters may may have a five-year warranty on the tank, maybe a 10-year warranty on the tank. But I found that oil-fired water heaters last 20 to 25 years on a regular basis. So the fact that that it failed at 13 is just plain bad luck. Um, I have nothing against the idea of you putting in an electric water heater and saving some money there as long as you are using it with a timer. Uh, It won't last probably as long as what I would have thought your oil water heater would have lasted, but it will save you some money. I presume your house uh, also has oil heat. Is that correct? It does. And is it hot air or hot water? It's hot air. It's hot air. Okay. Yeah. So the water heater is completely standalone. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's potential. I, I don't really have a strong feeling one way or the other. It's really personal preference. Um, but if you want to save some money, there's no problem. Putting, there's no reason not to put the electric water heater, as long as it's sized properly and it is on a timer, because, of course, you only want that to run when you have to. Water heaters are dumb. They, they heat the water 24-7, whether you use it or not, so you want to make sure that it's properly insulated and, and the is set up so it's not running all night long when you don't really need it running.
6: Right. Okay. I, any idea how many hours I should probably have that shut off?
1: Well, what I would do is I would shut it off kind of uh, after you're done with your evening cleaning tasks because the water will stay warm for a while. So if you like to shower and bathe at night, you know, whenever that part of the evening is done, that's when you want to shut it down, then bring it on about an hour before you wake up in the morning. If you leave to go to work on a regular basis, you can, um, you know, turn it off while you're uh, away at work. But if you're home or you work from home and you don't during the day, you might have to skip that cycle. But the key time to have it off is in the middle of the night.
6: Okay, very good then. I think I'll stick with it.
1: Well, you may know some very lucky guy who has his very own man cave. Perhaps that's you. And you're thinking, what am I going to do all spring and summer long? I can't keep cooped up in the basement in my man cave. Well, now there's a hopped up version of these guy getaways for outside. And they're gaining popularity in backyards everywhere. And this time they're for men and women alike. And they're called bar sheds. And whether or not you've got a pool... It's guaranteed to help you and your guests get more use out of your backyard this summer.
0: Yeah. Now, they're called bar sheds for good reasons because they are exactly what they sound like. It's an outdoor shed that's been outfitted with bar stools, beer fridges, even wet bars and ice makers. And I mean, they are awesome.
1: Now, an existing shed is the most affordable place to start if you have someplace else to store everything that's currently inside <laughs> that's your shed. That's true. <laughs> but you know, a pre-made shed or even one you build yourself will help your bar shed feel cleaner and newer with no leftover gasoline smells from the old lawnmower.
0: Yeah, but soon enough,
1: it's going to smell like an old bar anyway.
0: So (laughs) gasoline smells, bar smells, whatever you want. Now, once you've got your shed... Any bar supply store offers all the furniture and equipment that's necessary to outfit the bar shed of your dreams, whether it's just seating and some liquor shelves or a fully operational wet bar.
1: Now, keep in mind that building permits might be needed to run power and in a more souped up bar shed. But if you're just sharing drinks with family and friends, roughing it is all in the fun. 888-666-3974. Give us a call right now with your outdoor living home improvement project at one 888 money pit.
0: Now we've got Martin on the line who wants to talk about fascia boards. That is an excellent design detail on the exterior. What can we do for you? The fascia boarding that connects the ceiling
3: of my porch roof to the overhang has separated from the ceiling. And I want to know if I need to, do I need to rip that out and replace it? Or can I just seal it and maybe put a larger molding over
1: it? Well, if the fascia board is loosening up, then I would tell you to resecure it. And that's actually not an, an unusual thing to happen uh, because the nails that hold that are usually going into the ends of the, of the rafters behind it. They tend to expand and contract a lot. But what I would do is I would tell you to resecure it, but do it with screws, not with nails. If you use long screws like two and a half inch uh, case-hardened drywall screws or, or uh, wood-trim screws, that will pull that fascia board back in tight, and it'll be impossible for it to loosen up again. So don't think of it in terms of something covering it. Just put it back where it was, but use screws instead of nails, and it won't come out again, okay?
3: And do I do that by going under the molding?
1: Well, you want to try to get that fascia board resecured in. So if that is going to require you to take off a piece of molding to get to it, then that's what you do. But you want to get to the original fascia and tighten it up.
3: Okay,
0: I can do that then. Thank you very much.
1: All right, Martin, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit.
0: Now we've got Stephen, North Carolina, on the line with a roofing question. Tell us what's going on at your Money Pit.
6: Many years ago, um, my wife and I moved into a very small cabin way out in the woods, very wooded. So there's a lot of, um, every fall, a lot of debris and leaves and such. And we built onto the cabin a um, uh, a nice 12-by-12 12 12 bathroom uh, with a flat roof. Um, and that was not really my idea. That was uh, a buddy just said, this is the way to go. Um, we are now, and granted, it's given us good service. Uh, we did that in 1995. Uh, but now it is, uh, with these last monsoons we've had here in North Carolina, um, we have leaks. And my, I guess my, my question is, is a flat roof a good idea anyway? And then what are the pros and cons of a metal versus shingle roof.
1: Okay, so first of all, is a flat roof a good idea? Well, depends on your perspective. Look, there's a lot of commercial buildings that have flat roofs that last a long time, but they're also very, very well installed, and they don't have any leaks as a result of that. I will say that a flat roof is one of the leakiest roofs, generally speaking, because very often when they're put in residential homes, they're not put on by pros. And certainly, since you have a flat roof that's 20 years old, that's really, really old.
6: I'm no pro, but yeah, I put it in. <laughs> yeah,
1: 1995, I mean, you, you're talking 20 years ago, and, and that's a really old roof at this point in time. It would be old if it, was a, if it was a pitched roof. It's really old if it's a flat roof, which generally lasts about half that time. So it's time for a new roof. Uh, your options are to put another flat roof on it, which there's nothing wrong with that. The new material's today, especially the the torch down flat roofs, work very, very well. I just put a flat roof on my house. Um, But what I did before I put it on, though, is I added a slight pitch to it. You can buy uh, foam underlayment that basically will give you this, a slight pitch to a flat roof, and that helps the water run off, because you really don't want anything that's flat, flat. You really want to have something that's got at least a low slope to it. So if you add a little bit of slope to it and then put a new torch down roof on it, it should be fine. Uh, you asked to about metal. Metal is certainly an indestructible roof, and if that's something you're considering, I would also encourage it, because if you put a metal roof down once and you do it right, you're not going to have to do it for 100 years, and then who cares, right? Cool
6: analysis i mean is a is a metal roof and i've sort of looked at it but is a metal roof more expensive than a uh, shingle or a, it is isn't oh, yeah. it oh yeah
1: it's it's about four or five times as expensive so it's very expensive comparatively speaking
6: is that labor or, or is it really the material
1: um you know it, it's 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 both so if you're going to do it yourself you're going to save some money but But it's really the kind of thing that's kind of tough to do yourself unless you really have some experience working with mental.
6: Okay, great.
0: Hey, do you have several generations of your family living under one roof? You are not alone. More and more Americans do. Make your homework for all those family members, no matter how old they are or how young, when The Money Pit continues. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord.
4: When you're ready to search for a home, start at Realtor.com. Realtor.com is the most accurate home search site. And be sure to work with a Realtor to help you through the process. Realtor.com and Realtors, together we make home happen.
1: Where home solutions live, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm
0: Leslie Segretti.
1: Well, the American Institute of Architects just released their quarterly Home Design Trends Survey which used input from 500 architecture firms nationwide. The headline, business is booming for architects. Yeah, and what's
0: fueling that business is growing interest in multi-generational housing. Now, Americans have more households with adult children living at home, aging parents, or growing kids.
1: Here to tell us about incorporating multi-generational design is Denise Everson. She's the chair-elect of the Housing Knowledge Community of the American Institute of Architects. Hi, Denise. Hi.
7: Thanks for having me.
1: You're welcome. So this survey shows an increase in interest in things like mother-in-law suites and on-grade entrances and ramps and elevators. Are we getting to the point where homes will just be all, they'll all be accessible as sort of a default? In other words, why make a home that's not accessible?
7: It's going to be one of those things where the industry is going to catch up with the demands of the consumer. And as baby boomers specifically want to age in place, they're going to demand that their homes that they love be transformed into homes that they can grow into and age into. So as a profession, we're going to catch up to the point where it's going to just be the standard of creating um, situations where it's universal design incorporated into every aspect of the home. Now,
0: what are some of the trends that you're actually seeing that's happening in this multi-generational housing? So
7: my personal experience with multi-generational housing is derived from the fact that I grew up with both my grandmother and my great-grandmother in the same household. So you had four generations in one house, and it really shaped my design sensibility, I learned how important it was to have low barriers to entry, how important strong guardrails and entrances that had guardrails were. My grandmothers, both of them often used the guardrails to transverse those three or four steps that led to our ranch-style house. Also, one thing that I remember growing up, how important a shower, a walk-in shower was, as opposed to just having a bathtub. We had a bathtub as well as a shower and it was really easy for my grandmothers to walk into the shower and stand up and bathe as opposed to having to get help getting out of the out of the bathtub.
1: You know, we talk a lot about universal design being good for the aged. However, I think that we lose sight of the fact that universal design is practical regardless of age. For example, uh, a lever door handle is much more usable than a knob around knob door handle because if you're coming home with your arms full of groceries, it's a lot easier to you know use your elbow to open the door than to have to set them down and, and grab, uh, grab that knob and turn it. Little things like that, uh, little things like instead of toggle switches, paddle switches, uh, better lighting, wider aisles just makes movement through the house that much easier, regardless of whether you have uh, your elderly relatives living in the house or not.
7: Exactly. When I design kitchens for clients, I tend to have varying heights in the countertops so that makes the it's it's easy for kids as well as those persons who are in wheelchairs to navigate around the kitchen and they have a height that's comfortable for them so just incorporating different types of countertops, different heights, is also a way on a micro scale to incorporate universal design.
4: Well, Denise, a lot
0: of these ideas as far as having, you know, multiple baths with one being accessible and one having a traditional tub or multi-height, countertops and kitchens, those seem like they might be more, you know, installable in a larger home. What if you're dealing with smaller spaces? I mean, a lot of people have downsized and then want to adapt to that home to fit their changing needs.
7: Well, in D.C., the Washington Post recently released an article featuring tiny homes and tiny homes are sprouting up and popping up around the District of Columbia. I've actually went through the city, and I'm noticing those pop up. One such row of tiny homes is in Northwest D.C. It was built along a an alley, and those are an affordable option for those who are looking for affordable housing in D.C., which is becoming scarce. Product manufacturers in big box sto- who have items in big box stores are making smaller products that are conducive to um, installing in tiny ho- tiny homes. And it's also one of those things where you Learn to live without um, a lot of things that we really don't need. So I head back to the basics. So that's a, that's a move that uh, in a trend that I'm seeing here in DC. We're
1: talking to Denise Everson. She is with the American Institute of Architects about a new survey they did. And Denise, so what is the newest uh, learnings in universal design?
7: So as it relates to universal design, I think on a macro scale, it's important much like we incorporated green design and lead in the past, just making sure that we think about designing for multi-generations from the beginning. So when we're doing large-scale developments, having accessible routes, having low barriers to entries, just a standard good sense principles and practices that designers have used in the past 10, 20 years and that the consumers have asked for. So my biggest thing that I am pushing with my clientele is just that they need to think about universal design and consider it from the beginning um, and not have it as an add-on. You know, I think another thing that
0: we've seen is with student loans being what they are, we are seeing a lot of college kids after school coming back home to sort of help cut off those expenses, and even kids who've tried to get a job and aren't having such luck. So how do we address that?
7: I am seeing ADUs, accessory dwelling units pop up as well. I spoke about tiny houses a moment ago, but ADUs are for me an exciting new frontier. As I'm working on large developments as well as individual homes for my clients, they are always looking for opportunities to make extra income or in the in the particular case of designers to have Additional home office in the, in the rear of their homes or art studios or guest suites. So the idea of granny flats, as they're called in certain parts of the country, are becoming a popular trend, especially in DC. I've noticed, um, I was really excited recently to look at a plan for some new public housing and affordable housing that we have going up in DC. And I saw on the plan for the first time marked out ADUs. And I think that this will be a great opportunity for those who are moving back to home with their parents or those baby boomers and seniors who are choosing to move back with their younger families great opportunities to have affordable housing and to have families kind of living on the same property like we used to do in the olden days. So
1: you can go home again. Denise Everson from the American Institute of Architects, thank you so much for stopping by the Money Pit. If you'd like more information, you can visit AIA.org. Thanks, Denise. Thank you.
0: Alright, thanks so much. Hey guys, spring is finally here. Woohoo! And we know you are ready for the warmer weather, and everybody is, but is your air conditioner? We're going to have some tips to make sure it's good to go for when that first round of hot weather hits after this.
6: You live in
4: This is presented by Pavestone's easy-to-stack RumbleStone rustic building blocks. Create any outdoor hardscape you can imagine to instantly add old-world charm. Available at The Home Depot. For more information and product instructions, visit pavestone.com.
1: Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler.
0: And I'm Leslie Segretti. Give us a call at 888-MONEY-PIT. One lucky caller that we talked to on the air this hour is going to win big, and so will their car, because they're going home with a 3M auto prize pack worth more than $100.
1: Yep. For over 100 years, 3M has developed over 1,000 innovation solutions used in cars, and this hour's winner gets to try out a few of them, from Bondo rotted wood repair to 3M Headlight restoration. You can learn more at 3M.com or call right now for your chance to win and the answer to your home improvement question at 1 888 Money Pit.
0: All right, Patton, Michigan, tell us what's going on with the leak. Uh, yes,
3: uh, we had some shingles that blew up and the water got underneath and, and it leaked and then onto my ceiling. You know, we had high winds with, uh, like we call, side, you know. And uh, so I've had the roof uh, repaired, but I still have some leak uh, water stains on my ceiling. And I'm trying to figure out how to cover them up, uh, you know, without having to paint all of the ceiling. And my ceilings have never been painted. It's just raw uh, drywall, but it's been textured. Now,
1: since this was storm damage, did you think to call your homeowner's insurance company?
3: No, because it's, uh, there's only three little... Sp- like one is a dime size and one is a quarter size and the other one's a, like a dollar bill size.
1: Well, just for future reference, whenever you have shingles that blow off and leaks occur, that is why you pay for homeowner's insurance, so small or big, um, that's the kind of thing that, that's covered. Uh, you know, if it was a worn out roof, that's, that's one thing. But if you have storm damage where shingles blow off and water gets in, then you could have had that whole ceiling repainted at the expense of your insurance company. But okay, we're past that now. So the question is, how do you deal with those stains? Whenever you have a water stain on a ceiling, you have to prime that spot. Since there's small spots like that, you can spot prime it, which basically means just to prime over those little spots themselves. And then you'll paint over that. Uh, you'll have to, if, if you don't have some of the original paint, you're going to have to pick up something that matches.
3: There is no paint. This is just drywall, textured drywall, and they did not paint the drywall.
1: They never painted the drywall?
3: no ceilings here are not painted unless you ask for it.
1: Okay. Well, all I can tell you is if you want to get rid of the stain, you have to prime it. You have to prime on top of it. If you don't prime on top of it, anything that you put over that is going to leak right through. So it might be time to think about painting the ceiling, Pat. Oh, boy.
3: Okay. Well, thank you very much. I certainly do appreciate your time.
0: Well, temperatures are warming up, and if you haven't scheduled that HVAC contractor to come check on your air conditioner, you need to make that appointment today.
1: That's right. Service calls may be less expensive now before temperatures get too hot, and they're also easier to book. The guys are more available. Plus, they can spot smaller problems and treat them before you even turn on your AC, which can save you money and headaches in the dog days of summer themselves.
0: Yeah, but before you're getting that appointment onto the books, you need to make sure that the HVAC the AC contractor you hire is a thorough one.
1: Now, the text will check for low refrigerant levels, which is important. Without enough refrigerant, your compressor can burn out, which is a costly repair.
0: Now, the condenser, as well as the electrical components and controls, should also be checked, and the evaporator and condenser coils need to be cleaned. Your filters should also be replaced as needed, and if they're a weird size and if your service guy offers it, have them order it for you because they'll know exactly what fits and not be wandering around the home center with a dirty filter trying to figure out which one works.
1: Yeah, good point. It's really important. To get that done now because if you wait, it could be too late. You know, ACs never crap out on a cool day, they always go out on the absolute hottest day of summer, probably when you're like expecting a dozen of your closest personal friends to come over and cool themselves off. So get it done <laughs> sure. now. Do not delay. You'll be happy you did. 888 3974.
0: Chris and George is on the line with an electrical question. What's going on?
6: Uh, yes, ma'am. I've got a question with an um, electrical issue in our, in our bedroom. We bought this house and uh, trying to find out some answer to why the, like, the bottom plug of a duplex receptacle would work. But if you plug into the top part of the outlet, it won't work. There's no power.
1: Is there any possibility that the top outlet is on a switch? I uh, could be. Okay. I've seen that. You don't see it very often, but I have seen it where uh, what looks like a normal outlet is actually split and the top one is wired to a switch and the bottom one isn't. Oh, okay. So theoretically, you would have your light on that top one. Now, if that's not the case, then obviously something's wrong with the outlet and I would just replace the outlet. It shouldn't be a big deal.
5: Awesome. I, I appreciate the,
0: the advice. Hey, smart home technology, it's on the rise. And who's embracing smart homes quicker than any other homeowner? The answer might surprise you.
6: You live in a money, money Pit.
4: The Money Pit is presented by Leviton, the brand most preferred by builders for wiring devices and lighting controls. With a focus on safety and convenience, Leviton products are the smart solution for all your electrical
1: needs. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler.
4: And I'm
0: Leslie Segretti. Hey, you can't hear the Money Pit over the sound of your power tools? Well, you can listen to the show when it's convenient for you. All you have to do is head to moneypit.com and click on the radio and podcast section on the homepage. And in addition to your weekly radio show, you can subscribe to feeds of new articles, videos, and blogs. Just visit moneypit.com today and you can subscribe. And of course, post your questions. And I've got one here from Joanne in Florida who writes, how do I get nice, clean lines when I'm repainting my living spaces?
1: Yeah, that's a really common question we get. And I think it really comes... that's new these days that makes it easier is when you use painter tapes that has the absorbent edge technology. Now, Leslie, you have a couple of ways to do this. I know that you you figured out how to get clean lines before they they developed this tape. So let's start with the basics. If we don't have the edge uh, absorbent technology, what's a good way to get a clean line?
0: Yeah. What I always used to do was I'd paint my base coat, And then what I would do is I would tape out whatever I needed to do once that base coat was dry. And I'd put all my tape on and then I'd sort of run another line of that paint over the tape. And what would happen is the paint would sort of seep under the edge of the tape because it always seems to anyway and create a nice seal so that when you went in with the other color, you sort of got a nice clean line. The other trick is you pull off the tape. Like, kind of not right after you've painted, but, you know, fairly soon after. Don't let it sit there until it's dry. That's when it's really kind of damp, right? Thing. Yeah, it's got to be a little bit tacky. And if you peel it off, you'll get the clean line. But, Tom, you're right. The technology in these new tapes, it's fascinating. They even feel a little different. You know, they're a little bit more... Squishy and smooth, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They have a different texture to them, and it's interesting because there are a couple of different products out there. One's even made for you know uneven wall surfaces, like you've seen in the South, and maybe like this woman is experiencing in Florida, where you get a textured wall surface, and then you're trying to figure out how you get a clean line when you have that textured wall.
1: And essentially, they have an additive that's in the tape that absorbs that excess paint. Now, the only down, the only bad thing about these tapes is you can only use them once. So Mm -hmm. you'll get that clean line on the next coat. But if you have to put multiple coats, you may have to retape. And that can get expensive.
0: Yeah, but it does work.
1: Well, new technology like smartphones and Bluetooth have made for lots of new smart home innovations. Some of these, like smart locks, are already popping up in a home near you, while other futuristic ideas are getting closer and closer to becoming everyday realities. So, Which home on your street will be the first to install smart windows or smart irrigation systems? Leslie knows, and she's going to share in this week's edition of Leslie's Last Word.
0: Yeah, you know, it seems like every trend will start with early adopters, and those are the people that are willing to roll the dice and give that trend a go. Now, when it comes to smart homes, a survey by Better Homes and Gardens revealed that women under 35 are the group most interested in bringing innovative technology through the front door and into their home. The you know, these female homeowners, they admit that smart home technology, it's expensive, but they see those upfront costs as worthwhile because of the money smart home technology will save them in the long run. I mean, that's the whole concept. We've got to spend to save. Now, that doesn't mean millennial women are living in smart homes just yet. It's the most cutting edge technology like security cameras and programmable windows are still largely out of reach for this group. But their interest could spark new innovations developed with those forward thinking female home owners in mind. And of course, as the technology continues to grow, you're going to see price points come down and all of this become more commonplace. And I mean, it's really exciting.
1: Yeah, it sure is. Coming up next time on The Money Pit, put down that bottle of bleach. The key to a brighter and cleaner bathtub isn't so much your bathtub tiles. It's what's between them. Cleaning and repairing dirty, drab grout is on the next edition of The Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler.
0: And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone.